The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. If you're enjoying the Superhero Therapy Podcast, and if you like to think about the psychology of different elements of popular culture, check out our other two podcasts, Harry Potter Therapy and Supernatural Therapy. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. So today, we are so very excited to be covering Marvel's The Falcon and Winter Soldier. These Marvel shows are just knocking it out of the park, don't you think? They're amazing. They are so good. <laughs> and Falcon and the Winter Soldier is just a very entertaining show. And on point. Yes. There will be a great deal of spoilers, so please finish the show before you check out this podcast. You have been warned. <laughs> I just wanted to start out with an interesting fact that makes this show even more entertaining is as the result of the coronavirus, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier had to extend its shooting schedule and rewrite its plot. The initial plot revolved around the idea that there was some kind of a device that unleashed a pandemic across the world. As this idea was way too close to home, they were forced to reshoot and rewrite some of the scenes to accommodate this new direction for this show. They actually used some of the old footage, like the scene where Bucky jumps on the truck and finds the vaccines, but there was no mention of what those vaccines were actually for. So there's a lot of loose ends that you'll see. Also, the Flag Smashers leader, Carly Morgenthau's mentor, Tanya Madani, was initially a more in-depth character, and she died from the pandemic. But her character later was mostly cut out of the show, and she died of tuberculosis. She was essentially just cut out, and it was just her death. And you knew that she meant something to Carly and the rest of the Flag Smashers and the refugees. But you don't really know what happened. So some of these things felt a bit thinly written. But what they did to revamp the plot was just quite amazing, in my opinion. And I think this is a good time for us to get started with this episode. So at the end of Avengers Endgame, Captain America gives the Falcon his shield. This shield is a huge symbol of so many things. Honor, integrity, protection, heart, America, and most importantly, it's a symbol of freedom. Although it is made of vibranium and is surprisingly light, the weight of its legacy is very heavy. So much so that Sam chooses to donate it to the Captain America Museum to preserve its legacy. Steve represented the best in all of us. Courageous, righteous, hopeful, and he mastered posing stoically. <laughs> the world has been forever changed. A few months ago, billions of people reappeared after five years away, sending the world into turmoil. We need new heroes, ones suited for the times we're in. Symbols 
are nothing without the women and men that give them meaning. And this thing, I don't know if there's ever been a greater symbol, but it's more about the man who propped it up and he's gone. So today we honor Steve's legacy, but also we look to the future. Thank you, Captain America. But this belongs to you. Can you discuss the psychological significance of symbols and why legacy is so important? I think symbols create emotion. They create meaning. They remind us of the big picture. And so the symbol of Captain America reminds us to protect individuals in our country, to protect certain freedoms, and also to make sure that people are well taken care of, to remember Captain America's values. And I think that the weight of this kind of a legacy can be really heavy on whoever carries it. And I think for that and so many other reasons, Sam might have felt that he wasn't quite ready for it. And of course, as we later learn at the end of the series, Sam also felt not ready to be not just Captain America, but a black Captain America. And watching this show, the significance of having a leading character America's most amazing hero being black is so meaningful, so crucial, so necessary. And I think definitely is something we've needed a long time ago. And I'm really glad that we're finally getting it now. Yes, it was so tasteful the way they handled this whole show. And we're going to get into a lot of these details uh, coming up here. But speaking of freedom, for most of his life, the Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes, was a prisoner inside of his own mind. Bucky was an American war hero who was made into a super soldier and brainwashed into serving Hydra. During this time, he committed a lot of horrible atrocities that were out of his control. He took many lives. Some of these lives included Tony Stark's parents, Black Panther's father, T'Chaka, and innocent victims that were in the wrong place at the wrong time. As you would expect for someone who experienced so much trauma, he is forced to attend regular therapy sessions. So, Mr. Barnes, are you still having nightmares? James, I asked you a question. Are you still having nightmares? No. We've been doing this long enough that I can tell when you're lying. Well, you seem a little off today. Did something happen recently? No. One day, you're gonna have to open up and understand that some people really do wanna help you and that they can be trusted. I trust people. Yeah, give me your phone. You don't have 10 phone numbers on this thing. No, oh, and you've been ignoring the texts from Sam. Look, you've got to nurture friendships. I am the only person you have called all week. That is so sad. You're alone. 
you're a hundred years old, you have no history, no family. Are you lashing out at me, Doc? Because that's really unprofessional, you know? I mean, when did that start? When you start yelling at your clients? Oh, the notebook, that's great. All right, give me a break. I'm trying, okay? This isn't, this is new for me. I didn't have a moment to deal with anything, you know? I had a little calm in Wakanda. And other than that, I just went from one fight to another for 90 years. So, now that you've stopped fighting, what do you want? Peace. That is utter bullshit. You're a terrible shrink. I was an excellent soldier. So I saw a lot of dead bodies, and I know how that can shut you down. And if you are alone, that is the quietest, most personal hell. And James, it is very hard to escape. Look, I know that you have been through a lot, but you got your mind back. You are being pardoned. I mean, these are good things. You're free. To do what? What is your opinion of this show's depiction of therapy, the therapist, and how appropriate and effective are her methods? Honestly, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit picky here. And I think to this day, it's really hard to find a show or a movie with a good representation of a mental health professional. I had a lot of issues with the way that this therapist was depicted. I really don't know what modality of therapy she was utilizing here. The soul gazing technique is not the therapy technique to the best of my understanding. In fact, some people are suggesting that it's a tantric sex technique. So maybe it's a sex therapist uh, technique, but it, it is not a technique for individual therapy or for two friends being in therapy together. I had a serious issue with the therapist violating HIPAA, the privacy of the individual, in, in this case being Bucky, by introducing herself to Sam as Bucky's therapist mm -hmm. and then forcing Sam to join them in the session. This therapy was not only controversial, but quite unethical. It would be very different if Bucky brought in his friend and asked if Sam could join him in a session. That would be very different. Of course, patients are allowed to bring in loved ones, their families, their friends to sessions, but it is not okay for a therapist to force somebody else to join in the session, therefore completely breaking that person's confidentiality. She was very forceful and stern. I think she had a military background. Do you think that's why it was so different? Well, I worked at Camp Pendleton for many years working with active duty service members. I worked as a civilian doctor, not as a military doctor, but no military background excuses a doctor from violating HIPAA. That is not okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if she was a military provider or a civilian provider in the military setting, her violating her patient's privacy and confidentiality is unethical and illegal. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to bring up 
you mentioned that Bucky was controlled by Hydra and he was forced to commit horrendous acts that he himself never would have done. When we first meet him in the first Captain America movie, we see him as a really sweet, kind person who's highly ethical, highly moral. And when Hydra gets a hold of him, they force him to do the kind of things that Bucky never would. When Bucky is able to regain his identity back and realize what he's done, I imagine that he's probably struggling with something called moral injury. Moral injury is what happens to some service members, but also civilians who engage in an act that they would consider immoral or are unable to prevent something bad from happening. And then they might view themselves as being immoral or unethical, even if it wasn't their fault. We see examples of that when, for example, a doctor or firefighter is not able to save somebody, they might suffer from moral injury too. In this case, Bucky, even though what happened to him wasn't his fault, he was not in control of his mind or his actions, he still very much blames himself for what happened. And moral injury and guilt and and shame as a result of this kind of trauma can lead to somebody developing post-traumatic stress disorder. In watching the show, I didn't get a sense that Bucky had post-traumatic stress disorder, but I guess we didn't get enough information to fully be able to tell for sure. He doesn't seem to meet the full criteria Mm -hmm. of this anyway, but he does seem to be struggling with moral injury. I think it was such a beautiful scene when he was in Wakanda and he was finally free. His acting was so great in that scene. And after regaining his freedom, Bucky also spends a great deal of time trying to redeem himself by making amends with the family members that were left behind when he murdered these innocent people. What creates the drive for redemption and forgiveness and how important is redemption for Bucky to be able to move on? We were talking about moral injury just a few moments ago, and for people who feel guilty about doing something that goes against their core values, redemption of some kind or atonement or either forgiveness or some kind of restitution for what they have done is very important for that individual to be able to move forward. And that's why for people who are unable to make amends for what happened, they have a much more difficult time moving forward and sometimes get stuck in the traumatic event that they went through. For individuals who might not be able to make amends with the people whom they might have caused harm, let's say if they've killed somebody, making amends with that person's family or making amends in that person's name or or their honor still makes a difference. I think that the more we bury our darkest, most shameful secret, the worse we feel, the more disconnected we feel from ourselves. And in the beginning of the show, we see Bucky lying to Yuri. We see him abstaining from telling Yuri the truth about what really happened to his son. And you can see how it's eating Bucky alive. He feels so much guilt. He wants to tell him, but he also doesn't know how. And it's not until the end of the show when Bucky finally tells Yuri that both of them are able to be free. I wish we got to see a little bit more of what happened in that interaction after Mm -hmm. Bucky told Yuri the truth. I wish we got to see Yuri's perspective 
in knowing what happened and whether he was mad, whether he forgave him. We know that Yuri is Buddhist and at the same time, we don't know how he reacted and responded in this situation. But I think that this kind of redemption, not just as an idea, but as an action is really important for somebody to be able to make amends with not only others, but also themselves about what they've done. I thought it was interesting actually seeing that scene after Bucky told Yuri about it and Yuri was in the restaurant and it seemed like he was actually finally smiling and had a breath of relief and he was actually enjoying his moment. It's probably hard to tell about what was going on. And I know earlier in the show, Yuri said, I just want to know. Mm -hmm. It made me wonder if he knew that it was Bucky that killed his son. And if maybe he just wanted to know why, or maybe he just wanted to know why. If I remember correctly, I think he said, I just want to know why. So I think there's a chance he might have known who, but he needed to know why. I think you might be right in that he might have been smiling because he felt relief it's really hard to tell what he was actually feeling, but I'm hoping that this kind of truth set them both free. Absolutely. After Sam gives away Captain America's shield, of course, the government has to get their hands on it. And at the end of episode one and the beginning of episode two, we are introduced to John Walker, the new Captain America. And I immediately didn't like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he has some big shoes to fill here. I should say boots. Although he was a war hero and the first person in American history to earn three medals of honor. And he seemed like a great guy and someone you would definitely honor as a military individual. He could never be Captain America to me or pretty much anybody I would assume. It appears that very few people take him seriously. Most importantly, Captain America's friends, Bucky and Sam. Why do you think it's so hard to give someone like John Walker a chance to be Captain America and take on this responsibility? Well, Captain America was not just a symbol. He was a warrior. He was somebody that had these incredible core values where he didn't care about fame or recognition. He cared about doing the right thing. No matter what it cost him, no matter what the end result was, no matter what the sacrifice that he had to give was, he cared about doing the right thing. And I think that for both Sam and for Bucky, seeing somebody else who is proclaimed to be Captain America by the U.S. government seems like a farce. It seems like a show. And in a lot of ways, it is. John Walker's representation of Captain America becomes essentially a cheerleading rally. It's him being in the tabloids. It's him being on television and having parades, the complete opposite of everything that Steve stood for. And when they meet John Walker, he himself seems to be cocky. He seems to be full of himself and it makes sense that they would dislike him. They automatically mistrust him, of course, because he wasn't the one that Steve left the shield to. But seeing how arrogant John Walker was, it makes sense that they would despise him even more. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing is that when somebody dies, when somebody loses a friend, anybody that steps into the role to 
fill the role that their friend has left will likely be at least initially disliked or even despised by people who were close to the individual that died. Now, although Steve didn't exactly die, he traveled back in time and got <laughs> to be with his beloved, in a lot of ways he's gone. And so his friends are grieving and seeing somebody else take his place is sometimes a way to displace the grief that some people are feeling and turn it into anger. Absolutely. An interesting fact is that the actor who plays John Walker is, his name is Wyatt Russell, and he is Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son. I thought that was really interesting. As I mentioned before about therapy, we were talking about it, and Bucky and Sam are forced to go to therapy together to discuss the issues they have with one another. And Bucky is really upset that Sam gave up Captain America's shield. James? Why does Sam aggravate you? And don't say something childish. Why'd you give up that shield? Why are you making such a big deal out of something that has nothing to do with you? Steve believed in you. He trusted you. He gave you that shield for a reason. That shield that is, that is everything he stood for. That is his legacy. He gave you that shield and you threw it away like it was nothing. So maybe he was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. But it's not just that. As we discussed earlier, the shield is a very powerful symbol on its own. To Bucky, it represents his relationship with Steve Rogers. It's just that shield's closest thing I've got left to a family. So when you retired it, it made me feel like I had nothing left. It made me question everything. You, Steve, me. You know, I've got his, uh, got his book. And uh, I just figured if it worked for him, then it would work for me. Why do you think Bucky places so much significance in Sam becoming Captain America? I think that in a lot of ways, with Steve giving Sam the shield, Bucky expected that Sam would almost fill in the void that he felt in his heart. And by Sam rejecting it, I think Bucky felt rejected himself. I think that he felt like Sam doesn't believe in him or doesn't believe in Steve in that regard. And thinking about it from Bucky's perspective, Steve was Bucky's closest friend. They grew up together and he was manipulated to becoming this weapon for Hydra. And it was Steve that believed in him. It was Steve that brought him back. It was Steve that was willing to give everything for Bucky. And so I think all these years later, Steve was the closest thing to family that Bucky had. And now that Steve is gone, I think the only person that Bucky was willing to see as not necessarily as a replacement, but somebody who'd take the mantle is Sam. And I think he might have felt betrayed by Sam's refusal, not understanding the weight of the shield on Sam himself. Mm -hmm. In the novel, The Writer's Journey, Christopher Vogler wrote that every villain is a hero of his or her own story. In episode three, we are reintroduced to Baron Zemo, who was the lead villain in Civil War. 
It always interests me how villains think that they're the good guys who are justified in their actions. I honestly think that we're all one bad day away from losing our cool. We know that Zemo used to be royalty. He lost his fortune and his family when the Avengers were fighting Ultron in Sokovia. He's somewhat justified in his views. So all this time you've been rich? I'm a baron's son. My family was royalty until your friends destroyed my country. What are your thoughts on Baron Zemo and why is it okay for Sam and Bucky to recruit him to help their cause? Well, I think you're right there. The best kind of villains are ones that believe themselves to be the heroes. And Zemo here is really determined to stop all of these serums from being distributed. I think that in this case, even though it meant doing something illegal and breaking Zemo out of jail, their previously arch nemesis, Mm -hmm. I think that the mission was greater than their upset with him. I think that they realized that if they don't take this action, then they're more likely to lose and the consequences will be dire. So I think in essentially doing a cost-benefit analysis, if you will, Sam and Bucky realized that they're better off working with Zemo than working without him in stopping the Flag Smashers from distributing any more of the Super Soldier Serum. For those of you who don't know, the blip is what happened when Thanos snapped his fingers and half of the population disappeared in Avengers Infinity War. Subsequently, they all returned. All the half of the people that Thanos got rid of returned. It's such an intriguing idea to consider what would happen to our world if half of the people disappeared and the complications of them returning five years later after everybody's adjusted to this new world. Millions of people displaced. I mean, just think about it. Millions of people. Could you imagine owning a house and coming back and someone else owning it or living in it and you no longer have anywhere to live? It would be a very wild situation. Anyway, this group of refugees got a hold of some super soldier serum and are supposedly using their powers to help the refugees who are struggling to relocate in this new world kind of like super soldier Robin Hoods. Even though their mission is justified, their leader Carly becomes kind of radicalized and ends up starting to kill civilians along the way. She heads down a dark path. Her story is innocent and she had very sweet intentions. And Sam agrees with her fight, but not the way she's fighting it. It doesn't have to be a war, Carly. They started a war as soon as they kicked us out of our new homes and onto the street. People all around the world need me, millions of them. Right, I can't speak for millions, but I understand you. I understand your frustration. I understand your helplessness. So you want me to stop because people are getting hurt, right? But Sam, what if I'm making the world a better place? That's not a better place if you're killing people, it's just different. You're either brilliant or just hopelessly optimistic. Why can't I be a little bit of both? No. This guy I know, who knows more about super soldiers than anyone else on the planet, he says, you're a supremacist. Me? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Everything I do is to end supremacy. These corporations and the beasts who run them, they're the supremacists. So, let me ask you, you have more serum, right? So? 
Are you going to increase your army? You're killing innocent people. They're not innocent. They're roadblocks in my journey, and I'd kill them again if I had to. Wow. No, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. You tricked me into sounding like... Like what? The people I'm fighting are trying to take your home, Sam. Why are you here instead of stopping them? And my sister's waiting for that exact same answer. I'm not your enemy. I agree with your fight. I just can't get with the way you're fighting it. What does her decline suggest about power and its sway towards corruption? So actually, before I answer this question, I wanted to address everything that happens to the individuals who came back from the blip. It wasn't millions, it was billions. If there are 7 billion people on this planet, that means that 3.5 billion people That's true. <laughs> were gone for five years. And somebody also mentioned right in this show that when they were gone, in a lot of ways, economy boosted, right? Because they were fewer people to take care of, fewer people to, to feed. Borders changed. There was mm -hmm. harmony, more harmony. Unity worldwide. Right. Because there were fewer people that needed to be taken care of. And five years later, those individuals returned. But to those who returned, it had only been a second. It's almost like somebody who was missing in war coming back home not only might their home be gone and somebody else might be living there, their job is gone. Their spouse might be married to someone else. Imagine you come back just a second later, but it's been five years. Your spouse is married to someone else. Your children yeah. barely remember you. You don't have your job. You don't have your home. And it's interesting that some call them the refugees while others call them terrorists, but they're neither. They're people. They're mm -hmm. citizens of their particular country all over the world. And when they came back, everything had changed. Not only the borders have changed, everything has changed. And nobody seems to listen to them. Nobody seems to understand. And so, yes, they're displaced and then they're displaced again. They're promised supplies that are not delivered. They're starving. They're homeless after maybe being, you know, previously being successful or having a home or having a family, they now have nothing. Anybody in that situation would be not only devastated, but also furious. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you mentioned that Sam actually agreed with Carly, that he agreed with her cause, just not her methods, her methods involving violence, especially violence against innocent people. And I think the show brings up such an interesting perspective, how often we might not listen to the people who are being harmed, who might be really needing support, and the decision makers might never even speak to the people that their actions and decisions will most affect. And at the end of the TV show, that's exactly what Sam is talking about, right? When he says, did you have any of them in the room? Did you ask them why? I think it's really important for like all of us to be talking about this because the show, I think, is so real on so many levels. It doesn't just talk about the refugees. I think it also talks about displacement and how many indigenous individuals had been displaced 
you know, in the United mm-hmm. States alone. Also, a lot of people like that in other countries. It's a really powerful metaphor, I thought, for so many social injustices happening. In regard to your question, kind of about power and violence, I think sometimes for some individuals, especially when they're in this group think mode, when a lot of people get together, their mentality might become more extreme than it is on an individual basis. And sometimes when people are really amped up for action, when they have been wronged enough and hurt enough and angry enough, they get pushed to extremes. And I think that's what happened with Carly. Speaking of being pushed to extremes, as expected, John Walker's character starts declining and he begins to resent that very few people are taking him seriously as Captain America. John is starting to demand the respect of the original Captain America without earning it. Do you know who I am? Yes, I do, and I don't care. Why does John believe he deserves this respect, and what does this type of entitlement suggest about his broadening descent away from the icon that he actually is trying to represent? I wish that there was a chance for me to actually talk to John Walker and understand him a little bit more, so I'm just making a guess here as to what the character is going through based on what we saw in the show. Typically, if we're talking about real-life individuals, right, like I would get a chance to talk to them and assess them and get to know them. Given that we're talking about fictional characters, all we can infer about is what we saw on the show. I think that right as he becomes Captain America, John really struggles with imposter syndrome. I think that he worries that he will never be liked and accepted as Steve Rogers was. And I think it's because of that that he's trying so hard to be arrogant, to prove something, to prove himself. And he gets so lost in the title that he forgets what that title stands for. Mm -hmm. In episode two... We are introduced to Isaiah Bradley. He is a black veteran who, like Steve Rogers, was given the super soldier serum back in the early days. But unlike Steve, he was treated very differently. You know what they did to me for being a hero? They put my ass in jail for 30 years. People running tests, taking my blood, Coming into my cell. Sam revisits Isaiah and he gets the whole story about how he was treated. You wanted to know what went wrong? A handful of us got shot up with different versions of that serum. But they don't tell us what it is. They tell us it's tetanus. They sent us on missions. Even though the others weren't stable. Some of them started dying off. Then a couple of the boys get captured on a mission. I heard the brass talking about blowing the POW camp to hell to hide the evidence. But those are my men, my brothers, not evidence. So I bust out of the facility one night and I brought them boys back. Not that it made a damn bit of difference. 
It wasn't long before it was only me left. And what did I get for saving their lives? For the next 30 years, they experimented on me, trying to figure out why the serum worked. There was a nurse, she took pity on me, wrote up some fake reports, something. She had me declared dead. That's who gave me this. My God. Sam, I loved her so much. Mr. Bradley, uh, we gotta do something. We gotta tell somebody. No. Leave me dead. My name is buried. But the world's different now. I know people. Man, that's why you're here. You think things are different? You think times are different? You think I wouldn't be dead in a day if you brought me out? You won't believe jail was my fault because you got that white man's shield. They were worried my story might get out. So they erased me, my history. But they've been doing that for 500 years. <laughs> Pledge allegiance to that, my brother. They will never let a black man be Captain America. And even if they did, no self-respecting black man would ever want to be. Isaiah's story just rocked me to my core. Racial inequity and the treatment of the black community in our country and our soldiers that fought for our country, man, it has always been a disgusting problem in our society. This show highlights racial injustice in a very somber light. The thing that never ceases to amaze me, though, is the strength of people like Isaiah. They can go through hell, worse than I could possibly even imagine, and still raise their heads high and continue on with dignity and honor. How influential is this meeting with Isaiah for Sam, and what can we all learn from Isaiah's character? Wow, what a great question. You know, I think you're right. The show depicts how many BIPOC individuals in general, right, get mistreated um, in the military, out of the military, how many give their life, their freedom for their country and still don't get recognized. We saw so many individuals who were in the military who were then deported over the last few years for not having been naturalized citizens. And it's heartbreaking how many individuals are still being mistreated and it's it tends to be BIPOC individuals that are mistreated in this way. And I think Isaiah is such a symbol of what people might go through and might spend 
decades, as he did, 30 years in his case, being imprisoned for something they didn't do, how often that happens, right, especially with African-American individuals. You talked about, like, essentially dignity that we see in him. And he's somebody that understandably doesn't want to be found. He doesn't want to talk to other people, but he invests all his time and effort in his grandson and his garden. And the scene where Sam unveils a statue of Isaiah in the Captain America Museum is so heartwarming. And although it does not at all make up for everything Isaiah went through, but I think it's an important start of acknowledging the role that he played in being a hero to his country. It is a big step. No one's going to forget his story and things like that. But how far can gestures like this go to help combat racism? And can this type of restitution relieve the trauma that was suffered? I don't think it can relieve the trauma, but I think it's an important step. If we're talking about real life, for example, President Bill Clinton that acknowledged the horrific trauma that the patients in the Tuskegee study suffered. And so for anyone who's not aware, the Tuskegee study was a highly unethical medical experiment where black individuals from Alabama who had syphilis were given aspirin and were told that they were given treatment for syphilis. This study went on for 40 years, and even after penicillin was developed and was shown to be effective for the treatment of syphilis, individuals who were in this study, who were all black individuals, were prevented from receiving penicillin for the treatment of syphilis because they were in this study, and the scientists wanted to see what syphilis looked like in black men post-mortem. The study continued for 40 years until in, I believe it was 1972, if I remember correctly, a journalist wrote an expose of this study and the study stopped. And it was in the 1990s that President Bill Clinton finally acknowledged that the study was unethical and immoral and brought in some of the survivors of the Tuskegee study and offered restitution to them. And it doesn't alleviate any trauma, but I think the acknowledgement of it can be an important start for the survivors that went through this. I think that all of us being aware of the horrors that people went through is important so that we can understand their perspective so that hopefully some of these horrific situations don't occur again. There are some true horrors in our past. After meeting with Isaiah and hearing his story and seeing John Walker's descent where he actually murders a guy on camera, Sam decides to take on the pressure of becoming the next Captain America. After Sam saves a group of the GRC, which is the Global Repatriation Council, he saves them from certain death and a whole crowd gathers around and there's news cameras and Sam gives the most amazing speech on a live broadcast that is seen by the world. Sam, thank you so much from all of us. Sincerely, you did your part in dealing with those terrorists, now we'll do ours. 
Are you still going forward with resetting the borders? Our peacekeeping troops will begin relocating people soon. The terrorists only set us back a bit. You have to stop calling them terrorists. What else would we call them? Your peacekeeping troops carrying weapons are forcing millions of people into settlements around the world, right? What do you think those people are going to call you? These labels, terrorists, refugee, thug, they're often used to get around the question why. Those settlements that happened five years ago, do you think it is fair for governments to have to support them? Yes. And the people who reappeared only to find someone else living in their family home, they just end up homeless? Look, I get it. But you have no idea how complicated this situation is. You know what? You're right. And that's a good thing. We finally have a common struggle now. Think about that. For once, all the people who've been begging, and I mean literally begging for you to feel how hard any given day is, now you know. How did it feel to be helpless? Now, if you could remember what it was like to be helpless and face a force so powerful it could erase half the planet, you would know that you're about to have the exact same impact. This isn't about easy decisions, Senator. You just don't understand. I'm a black man carrying the stars and stripes. What don't I understand? Every time I pick this thing up, I know there are millions of people out there who are going to hate me for it. Even now, here, I feel it. The stares, the judgment, and there's nothing I can do to change it. Yet I'm still here. No super serum, no blonde hair or blue eyes. The only power I have is that I believe we can do better. We can't demand that people step up and we don't meet them halfway. You control the banks. Shit, you can move borders. You can knock down a forest with the email. You can feed a million people with the phone call. But the question is, who's in the room with you when you're making those decisions? Hmm? Is it the people you're going to impact? Or is it just more people like you? I mean, this girl died trying to stop you. And no one has stopped for one second to ask why. You've got to do better, Senator. You've got to step up. Because if you don't, the next Carly will. And you don't want to see 2.0. People believed in her cause so much that they helped her defy the strongest governments in the world. Why do you think that is? Look, you people have just as much power as an insane god or a misguided teenager. The question you have to ask yourself is, how are you going to use it? This speech hit me so hard. And you were talking about it earlier, about these negative labels and things like that. So how do negative labels like the one Sam mentions affect our perceptions, dehumanize others, and further instigate division. 
Well, and I want to be careful here. The term terrorist, of course, is a negative label. The term refugee is not a negative label, but it's an incorrect one in this case. They were not refugees. They were people that lived in their respective cities and were displaced when they came back mm -hmm. by the blip. For me personally, that scene hit home as someone who is an actual refugee, as somebody that is an immigrant, as somebody that had to move to another country and have been on numerous occasions being told that I need to go home, that I am a burden on this country or this economy somehow. It's something that for me anyway, watching that scene was so empowering and humanizing. And I think that every bit of what Sam said is true, that when we start just using labels, especially when we use labels like terrorist or aggressor or thug, you know, something like that, then we fail to see the individual as human. And I love that he said, have you ever asked them why? How many of them did you have in your room? The understanding that people who hold the highest power need to have the highest amount of responsibility in understanding the people whose lives they're about to affect with their vote. And I wish we got a chance to see which way the vote went. <laughs> I wish we got to see what ended up happening to those 3.5 billion people. And I also wish we got to see the kind of conversations that occurred between those individuals and the GRC thereafter. We have these politicians even in our society that have no idea what people are going through. It's like, how can they even possibly understand or empathize with someone's struggle if they've never been to it, if they've never struggled paycheck to paycheck or with medical bills that just decimated their whole house. And also have never spoken to people who have. Yeah. You know, when I lived in New York, when I was a college student, a group of us took a bus to Albany on lobby day. Now, lobby day is supposed to be the day that you're able to meet with your representatives. All of us contributed all the money that we possibly could, which for college students was pennies, you know, mm -hmm. everything we had to go to Albany to talk to our representatives, to beg them to not raise our tuition. Because that particular year, the governor of New York State, Governor Pataki, wanted to raise students' tuition by a significant amount. And we wanted to meet with our representatives to tell them that we were not able to afford this tuition, that to plead with them to reconsider. And one of my local representatives, one of my senators, refused to meet with us. We walked into his office and his assistant said that he wasn't in. And we said we would wait. And then we saw the senator who actually was there. So it was a <laughs> lie. The assistant lied. And when we walked in and said, hey, Senator, we'd like to talk to you about this upcoming vote. He screamed at us to get that heck out of his office. Those were not the words he used. I'm mm -hmm. censoring here. And he said he did not wish to speak to us. This was on lobby day and he was our representative. We were his constituents. And we just wanted to tell him our side of the story, but he kicked us out of his office. Mm. 
I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I don't want to get all political, you know. <laughs> and, and of course, there are wonderful representatives there who do, who, who listen to their people and some who don't. And I think that the speech that Sam gave was a powerful reminder for leaders everywhere to remember that they need to speak to their people, not only politicians, but leaders of big companies, for yeah. teachers to talk to their students, right? For for anyone who's in a leadership position to talk to other people to understand their perspective. And empathize and be compassionate. <laughs> it's not very difficult, man. <laughs> so anyway, I wanted to leave on this last question here. In Captain America, the first Avenger, the German scientist Abraham Erskine talks to Steve Rogers about the serum, and it's just such a beautiful way of looking at it. The serum was not ready. But more important, the men. The serum amplifies everything that is inside, so good becomes great, bad becomes worse. This is why you were chosen. Because the strong man, who has known power all his life, may lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and knows Compassion. Thanks. I think. Whatever happens tomorrow, you must promise me one thing. That you will stay who you are. Not a perfect soldier, but a good The Red Skull became a supervillain. Steve Rogers became a compassionate hero. John Walker became more of a killer he was trained to be. What does power reveal about ourselves? I think maybe it's not necessarily power, but it's opportunity. I look at serum as like an opportunity, like maybe internal empowerment. And I think it reveals who we are. I think it reveals where our core values lie. And I think for Steve Rogers, he was always a compassionate person first. He didn't care about fame. All he cared about was helping people. I think that the serum really revealed John Walker's identity and who he was and that he was more about prestige and esteem than he was about doing the right thing. Ah, man, this show was something deep and something special. And I'm so happy that you were all out here listening to us. We're going to go ahead and end this episode. Again, my name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Dark Agents, Book One, Violet and the Trial of Trauma. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Superhero Therapy Podcast. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind and take care. <laughs>